Have you ever had the experience of struggling with a label that someone has put on you? Here's a few for you. Codependent, too much, too sensitive, intimidating, bitchy, too needy. Or maybe sometimes you found labels to be helpful. Here are a few of those. Survivor, creative, empathetic. How do labels and gaslighting connect? And how do I know if I'm carrying around labels that are a result of gaslighting? This is what my guest and I talk about in today's episode. I'm Sarah Morales, the host of this podcast, and I want you, yes, you, to be a guest on my podcast, whether it's a topic like today's podcast or a personal story you want me to discuss, bring it. If you'd like to be on my podcast, please reach out to me and get on my calendar. I'll have the link in my show notes. My guest today is Galen Ray Emerson. Galen has a very special role in my life. In fact, she, being the wordsmith that she is, came up with a name for our relationship, Froach. <laughs> That's right. We are both friends, colleagues, and each of us has had a role in each other's life that at one point or another, we actually got to step into the role of coach and help each other learn and grow and develop our lives and become higher versions of ourselves. She's brilliant, hilarious, extremely insightful, and a beautiful human being. A little more professional description would be to let you know that Galen is a certified professional life, relationship, and divorce recovery coach, dedicating her career to helping others talk back to relational trauma, whether or not their relationships survive. Galen is credentialed by the International Coach Federation and the Association of Partners of Sex Addicts and Trauma Specialists with advanced training by the Gottman Institute the Institute for Sexual Health, and the Society for the Advancement of Sexual Health. So basically, y'all, she's like a badass boss. That's right. Yes, that's who we have on our show today. In this capacity of all of these specializations, all of these certifications and trainings, Galen applies nine years of professional experience and 20 years of personal experience with the world within the world of problematic sexual behavior, traumatic grief, and relational trauma. There's a whole list of things that she loves to specialize in. Abandonment, abuse, addiction, betrayal, deception, divorce, infidelity, and more. Like I said, she's a beautiful human. Galen coaches men, women, and couples around the world via her online private practice, Women Ever After. She is also on staff with the clinical team at Core Relationship Recovery, where she co-facilitates therapeutic intensives for individuals and couples. Galen is known for and lives by her collection of meaningful, expressive, and well-timed quotations. To that point, Galen, welcome. And will you share your current favorite quote with us? Ah, this is my current favorite quote. It's been my favorite for quite a while, which says something about how much I am attached to it. Mm -hmm. um, and that is, let me fall if I must. The one I will become will catch me. I love it. That's so great. That's so great. Well, again, thank you for being here. I'm so excited to have the conversation that we're going to have today. And honestly, to just bring you to my listeners, because I know um, you're a gift to people that find you. So welcome. 
Thank you very much, Sarah. You know, I feel all of the same right back at you. (laughs) All right. So let's move into word of the day. The word of the day is label. So there's a few definitions that I want to bring to our awareness today as we're talking about this concept of labels. Merriam-Webster defines label as a descriptive or identifying word or phrase, or it can be a verb to put a word or words onto something to identify or describe it, right? Like how many of us have said that about gaslighting? We're able to label something as gaslighting. It's helpful, right? But there's another definition of label. Oxford Languages defines label as a classifying phrase or name applied to a person or thing, especially one that is inaccurate or restrictive. That's where the gaslighting aspect comes into play right? We are hit with labels from so many different places, our family of origin, our culture, our society, religion, teachers, coaches, books, commercials, entertainment, and of course our relationships, right? And and I'm sure there are more, right? Many of the labels we've taken on, we don't even realize we've taken on. This realization was the birthplace of me awakening to the concept of unbecoming, right? Unbecoming all of the labels, all of the things, right? Looking at each one, taking the time to get curious and deciding if they were truly me or not, which leads me to this important topic that Galen brought today to talk about how to navigate when labels are positive and when they are quote unquote negative. So Galen, you ready to dive into this? I love it. Let's bring it on. All right. Uh, awesome. Is there anything uh, like, is there anything you want to say before we get into story time today? No, except to say that this is my favorite topic. Well, nice. that's maybe it's one of my favorite topics. <laughs> I find I bump into this on an hourly basis mm. in life, in my work, in our mm-hmm. world. It's mm-hmm. a huge thing. Once I tune into it, I see it impacting every area of my life all of the time. So yeah. it's a big one in my Yeah, opinion. I love what you just what you just said there. Once I tune into it. Because uh-huh. that's the catch, right? Which is a little bit of what we're going to unpack for my listeners today. Great. Right. Because until we're told to tune into it, we just like vibe in with the music. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we're like, okay, what's that background music? Hey, whatever. You know, we're just kind of vibing. And then we're like, oh wait, hold up. Like, let's actually pay attention. Like what's going on here? Let me let me actually tune in to what's going on and what I'm hearing and and how it's affecting me. Um, So we're going to approach this from a couple of different ways today. And I'd love to start um, from, from this place. And I'm sure that you didn't know this then, right? But, but we having the advantage of hindsight that we have now, um, I'd love for you to share with my listeners um, a time that you can think of when someone labeled you as something that was maybe either not you or caused you to take on beliefs or try to force yourself like square peg round hole kind of thing. Um, that was not you. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, and yet you took it on a way to try to align yourself to live and behave or think, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to do that. And I think you and I will drive in common with a lot of this particular, particular one. But Mm -hmm. if I think back to some of the most essential, most original, most organic points when this happened in my life, it was during my childhood when Mm -hmm. I was raised in a really religiously conservative community. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think homegrown, home birthed, homeschooled, home sewn, home everything. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. It was a very isolated, insular, very Mm -hmm. domestic, very conservative, very faith driven community. Mm -hmm. 
And at the core of that faith and community system was gender roles. Okay. So I learned very early on, I was a girl. And Mm -hmm. as a girl, this is what was expected of me. This is what was encouraged to me. This was my destiny to be Mm -hmm. A, B, and E. And Mm -hmm. I really was conditioned to, invited to, um, groomed to believe that in order to fulfill what I was created for, I had to check all of those boxes, Mm -hmm. which by default meant that there was a whole other set of boxes that were excluded from Mm -hmm. me. That belonged to the boy column, you know, whatever. Oh, yeah. And so I really was raised with this sense of there are so many things that could have been possible for me had I been born a boy. But because mm-hmm. I was over there, my exclusive focus needed to go in this direction. And I needed to be all of these different things that fit neatly within this box of what a Christian, conservative, Midwestern, young yeah. uh, woman yeah. to be. Those are a lot of labels you just threw out there that <laughs> all came under gender roles, right? Exactly. Categorically. Yeah. yeah. Yep. You know, what's interesting to me, I know we talked a little bit before we started recording about this kind of concept of being feminine or being a woman or et cetera. And, you know, I don't know that I've ever really thought about this until just this moment. Um, you know, I, I thought about it a different aspect, but I was actually labeled a tomboy. Go figure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like I was all about the sports. Like my best friend growing up was my next door neighbor, little boy, and we would dig in the dirt and play with worms and, you know, go fishing with my dad and, and like all of these things. And, um, and side note is, is really, really funny because, you know, we, we have these stereotypes and, and in the LGBTQ community, we can laugh about them because they're about ourselves. But when I, when I was first dating my wife, um, and I was telling her about all these sports that I did growing up and she's like, and how long did it take for you to realize you were gay? <laughs> and I was like, and we would laugh about that, right? Because that's like a kind of a stereotype and it's a joke, but, but in all seriousness, like because I was into those things and very good at them, I was labeled a tomboy. Mm -hmm. And this, I think, really contributed to a number of things, including my height, my bone structure, all these different things that made me feel like I wasn't feminine. Mm -hmm. Right. And so for me, that really connected to a lot of beliefs that I carried about myself for a long time, about how attractive I was, about how desirable I was, like all of these different things, because I wasn't this perceived picture of what feminine should be. Mm -hmm. Right. And then it it was probably just within the last five years um, that, you know, I really started to have this this new awareness as I grew into really finding who I was and loving who I was that I was like, hold up. Um, I identify as a woman. I fucking love being a woman. I don't want to be anything other than a woman because that's who I am. My insides match my outsides. That's who I am. Um, and so if I identify as a woman, then at its core, anything I do is feminine, Mm -hmm. right? Like when I am being a badass athlete, it's feminine when I'm, you know, like I don't have to, you know, there can be all these different kinds of things for me. It's like, I think, you know, quintessential, like I grew up thinking, you know, like feminine is the people who wear high heels and like, you know, the skirts and the dress. And like, I hate, I hate high heels. I think I've worn them like three times in my life, right? Like I'm already five foot seven. I don't need to be like a few inches taller, right? Like all these different things. Um, Anyways, so I I love that you brought that up, that gender roles thing, because I think that's the thing that a lot of people can identify. Um, I also remember uh, a very good friend of mine talking about how in her family system, um, all of the women were very good at their jobs. 
right? Mm-hmm. And it was almost this anti-feminine quality about all of the women in her family. And I was like, wait a second, but you're a female. So you being good at your job is not a masculine trait. <laughs> you're feminine. Now, there is this thing of masculine and feminine energy and we can move into and out of them. But inherently, if we are female, if we are male, if we are non-binary, like th- there's that whole new thing, right? Like, okay, now we ought to talk about non-binary too. Like the gender thing is a label. When we go back to the definition that I was talking about earlier, um, I loved where it said it, it's, it can be negative when it's inaccurate or restrictive. Yes. Yeah. That- because when you talk about that, kind of what feminine meant to you as a as a as a human being growing up for me it was less about the activities or less about the external mm-hmm. interests or uh image you know what i looked like what i dressed mm-hmm. like what i what i did it was more about the personality characteristics mm-hmm. women supposed to be subjective. Yes. Women were supposed to be agreeable. Mm-hmm. Women were supposed to be um, small. We could not eclipse the men in our lives. Talk about right. restrictive. I right. Mean, so, okay. So this is fun playing into the labels thing. You asked me earlier, mm-hmm. are there times when I took on labels that weren't inherently or accurately mine? And yeah. you know, one of the first places my mind goes to is I got really, really good at meeting the label, the terms of the label, like yeah. doing what everyone expected me to do, but yep. inside fostering, like like a tiny tender little thing, nurturing <laughs> this part of me that said, someday you will get a voice and you will talk back and you mm. will break out of this box that everyone tried to put you in because <sighs> for now you can't, but somewhere inside I knew I eventually mm. would. And it was Love so counter to what I considered aspirational at that point, but it didn't die. It didn't extinguish. It didn't go away. It just kind of laid in wait, so to speak. Yes. Okay. I want to pause here for a second. Like not literally, I'm not going to pause the recording. Like I want to pause here and camp here for a second because um, a year and a half ago when I started kind of trying to conceptualize the work that I wanted to do, the word latent mm. was something that was what I described where I felt like my clients were starting, mm-hmm. right? It's like, And that's why this whole unbecoming thing and this awakening to all that you are, it's like we have these beautiful things inside of us, but but they've been squelched Mm -hmm. because of these labels that aren't in alignment with who we authentically are. And so it's like, but they're there, right? Like I've had so, I don't know if you can relate to this, Galen, but I've had so many clients where they get to this point where they're they're at the point of not really... um, needing to work on the survival phase of things like mm-hmm. they're they're ready to start kind of figuring out who they are but they're scared mm-hmm. right like they're so scared that they're not going to be able to know who they are or hear their own voice or any of these kinds of things because it's been squelched mm-hmm. yeah she's you can't see her but she's like shaking her head like a lot 100%. 100%. Sometimes the term I'll use for it like might be the equivalent of your latency is default mm-hmm. right okay. So, mm-hmm. so default is what happens when we don't need to exercise any additional effort, exploration, intention, et cetera. But, mm-hmm. you know, that is that is what happens if we don't do those things. And the invitation to do those things is often just around the corner or just ahead of us. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And I, th- I think why I paused there is because you said, there was something in you that knew that you'd be able to do it someday. It's like when I, when I get the chance to work with people, when they're in this place, I'm like, don't worry, I promise 
they're still there. Like your voice, like your no, it's like, it's, it's just, it's just quiet. And Mm -hmm. every time you listen to it and then act on it, it grows, it grows bigger. It grows louder. It goes stronger. Um, and it's a process of re, you know, giving that space. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but it's there and, and it's always a very exciting uh, place for me when I get to work with people that I know she's big smile. She's like, y'all, if you could see her, she's just beaming. Like we, we know it's just a whole thing to work with people when they're in that place. I was describing this to someone the other day. Like you, ever, do you remember the movie hook with Robin Williams and Julia Roberts? And she uh-huh. played a tiny little Tinkerbell fairy, right? That they did with CGI and all this, but there comes this point where she wants to be a real grown-up, non-fairy creature mm-hmm. uh, in order to try to kindle something between herself and Peter Pan, right? Right, so, right bursts out of her teeny tiny little fairy house and becomes this big grown-up glowing version, you know, mm-hmm. Julie Roberts and all of her exquisite gorgeousness. Right yeah. there. But that, mm-hmm. that energy that they captured in that scene is so mm-hmm. beautiful. And I, I do. I see that in my clients mm-hmm. and it connects and echoes with something I know I've lived through in my own self. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, dipping our toes into what it's like, um, uh, you know, a specific story to ourselves, each of us about what it was like to have a label imposed on us that caused us to not be in alignment with ourselves. So I'd love to kind of switch it up here for a second and talk about a time when you were either given or found either way, it doesn't matter to me, but a label that actually that helped you. Hmm. Yeah. So these get a little bit heavy. That's okay. Go for it. One of the ones that I'll I'll often d- describe or share about is when I started hearing words like abuse, and when I started hearing words like trauma, mm-hmm. and when I ha- started hearing words like dysfunction. I carried a lot of shame attached to those words, but also a sense of um, something ominous or something bigger than I could possibly take on. Each of those words carried big implications to me. Yeah. So for example, if I was to identify abuse happening in my life or in my marriage, whether I was the one perpetrating it or the one on the receiving end of it, what did that mean? I had to, yeah. felt I had to do something with that. And part of it was also not recognizing or not knowing instantly the fullness of what that word meant. So when I first heard the word abuse, I had a very kind of classic stereotypical word in my head Mm -hmm. or picture in my head. Like that meant Mm -hmm. something. And it was something that I saw on TV or it was something that I read in a sad story in the newspaper. It was those kinds of things. It wasn't what was happening in my life. But when someone broke down for me the individual characteristics involved in power dynamics or um, just some of those very, very, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Prolific Mm. aspects of what abuse involved. I was then able to go, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. This is way too close for comfort. Yeah. Once I got that far, I was able to start hearing, seeing, recognizing, okay, if I'm going to, if I'm going to even entertain that as a possibility, mm-hmm. where's what's possible? Yeah. I can ask for this kind of help. I can lean yep. into this kind of resource. I yep. can take advantage of this kind of, I can reach for this tool and find that it actually fits versus, you know, the, the, um, obtuse, um, inappropriate tool I was trying to use to fix right. it. <laughs> right, right. So along with the vulnerability that it induced came the opportunities that it offered. I don't yeah. know if that's what you were asking for, but that's no, I'm, 
time when you first said that. Yeah, no, and I think that's great. And I think what I what I love about your example with this one is, you know, it's kind of that same notion of um, simple doesn't always mean easy, right? Like something can be super simple, but mm, hard to do, right? I think this is an example of a label that is helpful, but doesn't necessarily feel great, Mm -hmm. (laughs) at least at first, right? Like I remember the first time I said out loud that I was a survivor of abuse and how that hit. And um, I knew it inside my head, but to actually label myself that way, had feelings with it. And Mm -hmm. yet it, it was empowering because that allowed me to take a stand for myself like I never had before. Because I was like, well, fuck that. I'm not going to let myself be abused, right? Mm-hmm. Like, no. Um, you know, so I, I think that that was a really powerful and important thing for a lot of people to hear because we can shy away from these things. Mm-hmm. I think that actually happens a lot with gaslighting. So that might not be about a, a label that we take on, but I think people shy away from gaslighting because the connotation. If I label this behavior as gaslighting, that means, oh shit, <laughs> right? Like a bunch of scary, heavy stuff. And at the same time, like you said, that's, that's like the, the jumping off point of where we can actually apply the right tools, mm-hmm. which right? makes all the difference, all the difference. Right. Um, so I love that. No, that was a great example. I think um, for me, when I was thinking about this for myself, um, you know, this is actually a fairly recent uh, label that was uh, given to me by some of my clients um, actually last year. And they used uh, the word magic, like your magic, Sarah, like what you do um, is magical. And it, it, it connected, like it hit in a way. Um, that was different for me because I grew up thinking magic meant one thing and <laughs> it was not good and all of these different things. And, and it was like, I am magic. Like I'm powerful. Like, like all of these things that opened this door inside of me. Um, and that's, that's one of the things I kind of wanted to point out to people today when we find a label that tracks, <laughs> if you will, right? Like that's what happens. It's like, it, it's like, we're open to the possibility. It doesn't feel like pressure. It feels like possibility. Right. Right. Um, and I think that's so important because I think to to be able to feel that in our knower, right? Like this feels pressuring. This feels like something I'm forcing myself to do. And it doesn't feels like I'm trying to fit myself into a pair of jeans that's about three sizes too small. <laughs> right. Like, right. no thanks. Right. right. Like, uh, yeah. So um, so that was just another one for me that I thought was just a fun example to bring. Um, and I love that we are we like covered a whole spectrum there of the different types of ways labels might come to us um, and can be helpful and the different kind of responses we might have. Um, so now I'm curious because I, I think there's a, this dynamic about labels where they can be both helpful mm-hmm. and not helpful at mm-hmm. the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, learning to understand where that line is, where they cross over from being helpful to not helpful, um, is important to be able to understand. So I'm wondering if first you can think of an example where there was a label, um, that was both helpful and not helpful for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, as you asked the question, I've got a library of them, <laughs> but I think that what I want to start out with is, is what some of your listeners, some of, some of, some of your community I know can relate to this. Others may not, but, but the mm. whole idea of being the partner of a sex addict. Yeah. 
right? So this is something that came into a huge play in my life. When I first met my now ex-husband, we weren't engaged yet. We weren't married yet. Um, mm-hmm. It was kind of in that that still getting to know you stage that I discovered all of this stuff. I didn't know, did I qualify as a partner when I was just a dating person versus mm-hmm. being an engaged or a married person. I wasn't sure what I believed about the sex addiction piece mm-hmm. at first. But when I stepped into that role of acknowledging, okay, I I read all the stuff, I look at all the things, there's no doubt left in my mind that I am legitimately um, applicable to the label of um, partner of a sex addict. Okay. Mm-hmm. So how does that change when I end up a decade later separating right. from this guy? divorced from this guy. There's Mm -hmm. some degree to which that sense of partnership with relation to this big issue Mm -hmm. legitimized my pain, legitimized my trauma versus being Mm -hmm. a bystander to something or being an outsider to something. When you're partnered with it, you get direct impact because of it. So then what do I do with that label when I'm beyond the relationship that caused that kind of trauma? Mm-hmm. Do I still want to hold on to the label? Because again, it, it it does a pretty good job of representing how I got the baggage that I'm currently carrying. Yep. But gosh, I don't want to align my life anymore. Exactly. This relationship to this person who is no longer my most significant other. Right. So, so I kind of have had at various points in my life, the need to give myself permission to reach for hold gently, grasp mm-hmm. tightly, read mm-hmm. distance from all of those different things. I know you, listeners aren't going to be able to see my weird hand movements here. <laughs> but in relationship to this label, I get to move around the label in ways that might serve me and I get to distance myself from it at points when it doesn't. Yes. Um, you know, it's a weird, there's like this weird thing with even um, verb tenses. Like when I refer to someone uh, or talk to someone about something that happened with my husband. Well, he was my husband at the time it happens, but now he's my ex-husband. So, yep. you know, how how do I want to refer to that? Yeah. It's a weird weird mind bend, especially for someone who gets obsessed with words. Yeah. Yeah, I could I could totally see that. You know what I I loved the way that you just said that where it was like, you know, I can either, you know, hold on to the label as as tightly as I need to or or distance myself from it if that's what I need to do and I th- I think, you know, just asking ourselves what part of the label serves me, mm-hmm. right? And I'll own that part and what part doesn't serve me mm-hmm. um, and doesn't align with me or isn't helpful for me. And then I, I also love the second thing you said, which which to me is, um, you know, I think the way that labels can maybe help us, but then turn unhelpful or harmful even, um, is when we're only meant to carry that label for a season. Mm, yeah. Right. So I know offline, you and I talked about this concept of victim versus survivor versus thriver or whatever, right? Like, like I, I, one of the things I'm passionate about with what I do with my gaslighting is to help people move out of victim, right? Because sometimes we can get stuck there and then we carry that label and we, we feel like it's something that identifies us as mm-hmm. a person versus a season of time that we traveled through. Yes. I was a victim for a while. Yes. I no longer identify as a victim. Right. 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 Um, and so for me, that was a really powerful kind of understanding about how labels, like I don't have to carry this label any longer than mm-hmm. it serves me. Mm-hmm. 
You and I have talked um, intermittently over the years, been quite a few years. Um, mm-hmm. We've all got, both gone through changes in um, our names, in our business names, mm-hmm. in what we, how we describe the work that we do, all mm-hmm. of those things. And, and I, think, I think you're right. I think that sense of being or learning how to move from one thing to something else without presuming that it means we're devaluing the former thing. Right. Or yes. wishing to, you know, d- erase it away. It's not a revisionist sort of a thing, but recognizing mm-hmm. that, okay, it's okay to honor something by letting it go for the purpose of stepping into something that is that is so much more present. Um, I think I've told you this. I love my business name, Women mm-hmm. Ever After. I created mm-hmm. because I adore w- women and womanhood. And at the time I worked almost exclusively with women. Right. I longer do. Right. (laughs) The men that I work with and the couples that I work with and and the other human beings that I work with to feel welcome in my work and the business name that I adore so much. And I'm honestly having a really hard time letting go of. So that's just the reality Mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. Um, Isn't because I no longer need, want, adore or respect it. It's because I just need to outgrow it. I need to give myself permission to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think like, you know, you even use the word, talk about word nerds, you even use the word outgrow. Um, like I just think as humans, we're meant to evolve. Right. And it's, it's not, it's not like outgrowing or evolving means that the, that women ever after or whatever it was, is, was not good or not mm-hmm. the healthiest, best thing that you were offering in that time. And like, you know, kind of hide in our face. No, it's like, I'm, I'm meant to evolve. So I'm proud of that work. You should be proud. Not, I'm going to tell you how you should feel, but you know, you can't be proud. And at the same time, be like, and I'm, I'm growing out of this mm-hmm. definition or label of my business. Right. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Cause that's a different, I mean, there's so, uh, listen, y'all, there are so many different ways we could probably talk for hours about the different kinds of labels and all of that different kind of thing. But I, I love that that's yet another example. Well, I'm just going to say, let's you and I make this little pact that uh-huh. one of us will ever stop outgrowing ourselves. Yes. Because the minute I, and I honestly believe this, I believe that the minute I let myself believe I have everything figured out. Yeah. Why, 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 why keep waking up in the morning? I mean, yeah, no. What a sad moment. <laughs> it's yeah. not a victory lap at that no. point. It's a, it's a, yeah. Let's not do that. No, for sure. I'm I'm totally with you. And um, so just to bring like uh, another kind of way to look at this, um, I thought I would share a really quick uh, kind of anecdotal story, if you will. I think that's the right word. Um, I'm like I better be careful with what words I use with Galen. Um, I have so, definitions, you know, right? Um, so the the kind of helpful harmful thing. So for me, um some of the processes that I do with, uh, with my clients around kind of this concept of labeling and stuff I did for myself. Right. And I know you and I both love and adore Heather Plett. So I'm going to give a shout out to her and her spiral path program. Cause that's kind of where I first kind of fell into this work for myself. And, um, you know, there's, a, there's an exercise where you kind of write all these old stories. And one of them that I realized that I was carrying around was a label that I had been given when I was in my late teens and early twenties that I was intense. 
go figure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And it was kind of this negative thing. Like I'm a, I'm a strong, deeply feeling person. And, um, and, and from that place, I was having an emotional response about something. And my boss at the time basically said, you're, you're like, that's intense. Like your response to what's going on is intense. And that was a harmful label for me for decades. And it was harmful because I tried to make myself smaller. I tried to not, you know, make my emotions known as as strong. And, and you know, when we are cutting ourselves off from um, expressing our emotions that way, we actually start to disconnect from our own emotions. And I make up that's part of why I didn't sense some of the stuff that was happening in my marriage, in my first marriage. Um, so harmful in, no, in a number of ways. But when I was going through this spiral path thing uh, five years ago, it was actually five years ago this month, I looked it up earlier today, um, that I was getting her emails <laughs> with the different the different uh, guides or whatever you would call them. And, um, and we do this exercise where you take the old stories and you kind of like cut them up. Like, what is that called? Like, um, what's the, the letter when people like send a letter, ransom note, ransom note, ransom yeah. note style, right? Where it's like the E doesn't quite fit with the rest of the word. Cause it came from a different word. Yeah. It was like, that's literally what my, my second piece of paper looked like. But what was interesting, um, for me for this is going through this process for myself is like looking at the old, at the old stories and seeing which ones no longer served me. This was one that I wasn't quite willing to throw away. However, I wasn't willing to keep the same understanding of it, mm-hmm. right? Which I, which I, is for me, I want to have this lead into the, the whole narrative thing that I want to talk to you about. But, you know, the, the belief that I had that being intense was a bad thing. And I looked at this word and I looked at this definition of myself and I'm like, I am intense. And you know what? I love my intensity. Mm-hmm. It is something I own now. Like it makes me good at my job right? The people that I'm in relationship with, like platonically and romantically, they love my intensity, right? There's so many different things about it that I think are beautiful, amazing things that, that are um, an effect or a product of my intensity. So it's not now something that I own. So that for me, it was like a little bit of a way that, that I have seen labels be both good and bad for me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, the the point is like thinking about, okay, well, that person had that and that meaning and that thought, but what do I think about this? Mm-hmm. So, um, which kind of has to do with this whole concept of the narrative, right? So I know um, some years ago, um, you, you have this whole thing that happened for you around this kind of journey part of, of recognizing narrative and all this kind of stuff. So will you share with us a little bit of what kind of led you to this place where you're like, Hey, there's this whole thing about the narrative and I don't want to give anything away. Cause I, it's just such an amazing story. So I'm just going to turn over to you and let you say whatever you want to say about that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah. Oh, there's so many places I could start. So let me put it this way. As much as I love womanhood, like I said, that was kind of my, my orientation point at the beginning of at least this phase of my life, you know, the phase during which I met you and I was moving into Uh this this work professionally. Um, As much as I loved womanhood and celebrated and supported womanhood, I was also all about relationships. Mm -hmm. I was feeling very secure in my own romantic and uh, life partnership. I was working in tandem with other couples with my then husband. Um, 
relationships thriving was where my heart was at. Mm -hmm. I believed in the power of women who survived and men who survived after relationships didn't. Mm -hmm. But if you honestly ask me where my focus was, it was all about those relationships and the, the happily ever after that came in the aftermath of all the shitty stuff. Yeah. You know, kind of like the the victory lap, the the, the heroine story, the the the, right. the denouement of it all. And there was a point at which that part, that connection I had with my now ex-husband and the passion we shared for healthy relationships was integral and foundational to my existence mm. in my life, in my world, in my family, in my work. So really unexpectedly, my marriage fell apart. Yeah. And really unexpectedly, I was left with very few available healthy choices for how to navigate my way out of that relationship. And mm. as fate would have it, that relationship ended. So I was left kind of moving from that space where I was playing big. Yeah. I was launching. I was turning a new page. I was driving headlong into something new to feeling like I had to tiptoe, mm -hmm. feeling like I had to play it safe, feeling mm -hmm. like I had to lay low because what was anybody, myself included, really going to think about me Mm. when I was just me and mm -hmm. I was the woman who was now twice divorced, the woman who quote unquote, couldn't make marriage work. Yeah. The woman who supposedly gave up on things, which isn't my version of the story, but you know, yeah. <laughs> so many ways in which I was just so beat down mm -hmm. and I essentially pulled back from some big ways that I was using my voice and living my life. Okay. So mm. that's, that's my introduction. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to put this out there with a trigger warning. Okay. Thank you. I personally love the, uh, the story of Hamilton, the stage play, you know, the Broadway, the, the production. Um, it can be very, very, very triggering because there's whole storylines about misogyny and infidelity and all that. Okay. okay. So if that's just, just, that's the caveat. Okay, you're good. Um, I went to see Hamilton with one of my very, my other very dearest, very closest froaches. Mm -hmm. um, and we were together watching it. Now, it, as it happens, her marriage has survived in mm. everything that came with that. And mine didn't. So I'm sitting here side by side with her, listening to this story, tracking it along. The big blow up in the main character's relationship happened. And they put it back together as the result of this tragedy in their lives. They came together. And the theme of the, the kind of closing uh, part of that part of this, the story was forgiveness, reconciliation, mm. Just leaning into each other, starting over again. And I am hit smack in the gut with so many emotions at once. Yeah, Tears rolling down my face thinking, I am so heartbroken that I didn't get that. Yeah. That was not my happily ever after. Then I look at this dear woman next to me, whom I adore. Mm -hmm. Tears are rolling down her face too. And I get this momentary flash of pure jealousy. Mm. I was so distressed in that moment. Yeah. This beautiful, again, I love her. I was yeah. not angry that she got what I didn't get. I was just so caught in the fact that there was this 
fracture mm-hmm. in our experience. And she was on one side of this divide and I was on the other. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the part two. Here's part three. Okay. At the very final part of the play, in the very last words of the very last song of the very last scene, one of the main characters who had previously at that point of infidelity said, I'm taking myself out of this thing. Mm-hmm. I am, this is your story to tell now. She literally says, I am taking myself out of that narrative. And the mm-hmm. very moments of that play, she sings the words, I put myself back in the narrative. Mm-hmm. In those last moments, she gives this musical monologue about all of the shit that she did in her life from that point on after her husband was dead. Mm. That story at that point, the point at which she says, I put myself back in the narrative, she says it was so much soul and so much heart, happened without him. Yeah. He was not there for it. Mm-hmm. He was not the integral part. He played a few inspirational roles at various points, but mm-hmm. that was all about her. Yes. Her coming back to life was not about her and her husband's resurrection, reunification. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, what's the word we always use? Restoration. Mm-hmm. It was about her living her best life on her own after that. And when I knew a few months later that I wanted to start an annual tradition of honoring what used to be my wedding date, mm-hmm. my wedding anniversary date, by making it a date that was all about me. I call I now call it my new narrative day. Nice. The day I bring new expressions of self-identity and self-love into my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that the first way I was going to commemorate that new date and that new tradition was to get a tattoo. First one I've mm-hmm. ever to put on my body, <laughs> you know, you're my tattoo uh, inspiration. Uh-huh. Um, and that was what it said. So I, my, my first tattoo says I put myself back in the narrative and I was bold and brave and potentially stupid enough to put the date <laughs> on there too. And mm-hmm. I had to say to me afterwards, you know, do you really want to anchor the concept to that date? But I do. Mm-hmm. I, that was the date that for years celebrated the most meaningful part of my life which was mm-hmm. my marriage. And mm-hmm. today I can honestly say I celebrate that day as the most meaningful part of my life as me. Yeah, I love it. I think what I would love to bring back around and out of that story is the the power that we have when we understand that we have control around our own narrative. Mm-hmm. Right. And how that connects back to understanding labels. Because I mean, I think labels have a lot to do with a narrative. Would you agree? Absolutely. Because going back to that first definition you gave about labels, it is how we categorize things. It is honestly how we describe and tell stories. Every mm-hmm. adjective in the dictionary could be considered a label from that point. Yep. Of view. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then. Um, what I'd love to do is kind of take this into the deconstruction zone and talk about, so, okay, so if labels are kind of this benign thing, they can be a force of good, a force of empowerment, a, a force of education and, you know, clarification, and they can also be a force for bad, right? Mm-hmm. Like of restriction and all of the things that we've talked about, right? So for me, when it comes to labels and gaslighting, any number of techniques and tactics may be experienced, but for me, the main ones that I name are manipulation, 
coercion and usually coercion connected to attachment, to acceptance, to love, that kind of a thing. Um, and then of course, brainwashing and, indo- and indoctrination, which I think we see the brainwashing and indoctrination, um, in a variety of ways, um, including, like I said earlier, like I'm thinking commercials, I'm thinking like things that don't even have to like pictures, you know, you're, you're in the the line at the grocery store and you see pictures of movie stars and you think, Oh, well, that's what it means to be happy. And that's what it means to be beautiful. And that's what, right, all of these things that we've kind of talked about. Right. So we don't know that getting hit with these things over and over and over and over and over and over and over is brainwashing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I think it's important to to point out slash remember that the person that's doing the gaslighting, when it comes to labels, they may be doing it on purpose, right? So I absolutely think that there are people out there that are like trying to get people to live certain ways and by slapping labels on things and, and different things, right? Also, I think it's important to say um, and in fact, like I think Jenny Rochelle and I talked about this a little bit, that the person that is gaslighting us around labels ha- may have been brainwashed or indoctrinated themselves, right? So it's not coming from this purposeful, intentional place where they're trying to get us to conform or to do things and live according to their values when maybe that's not ours, right? Like, um, I think that's really important to to point out here as we're talking about this. And also, side note, if you've not yet listened to my gaslighting scale episode, y'all, um, you might want to do that because that will give this some context. And again, whatever the reason, right? Like what whatever the level of awareness that the other person might have, like I'm thinking anything from the people that are in charge of the marketing ads who maybe are a little bit dubious, is it dubious? No. Um, I can't think of the right word, but their, their intention isn't exactly pure. Like they kind of want to manipulate us into believing certain things, right? That's why the diet industry is like a billion dollar industry, right? Because we're meant to believe that unless you're five foot seven and 120 pounds, like you're not beautiful, right? Or whatever. Um, so absolutely there's a whole level and scale of awareness But whatever it is, whether they know, they don't know, it is not okay for other people to define for you who you are or what values you should hold as your core values, all right? Now, moral values are in a different category from core values, y'all. I just want to put that out there. It's a different difference between those two. Okay. So, um, that's kind of coming from the gaslighter side from, from the gaslighties side, uh, people unknowingly more often than not take on labels. Okay. Um, we do this usually for a number of reasons, the main categories. So there's a bunch in each category, but the main categories are one because of the role of the other person, right? So parent, pastor, therapist, you know, like different people might tell us things and we might believe what, like, like, right. Galen, you and I know, like how many people come to us misdiagnosed as something by a therapist because the therapist doesn't yet hasn't yet known about betrayal trauma or different it's it's less common the the more we go on but I know when you and I first started most of my clients that came to me had been misdiagnosed yeah right um so not bad intention still didn't matter right but that's their role so we automatically trust them or believe them right think they know better than us etc um number 2 is a desire for love or acceptance right um, this is my, this is my community. This is my church. This is my, this, right? So if I'm going to be loved and accepted by them, I need to believe the same as them. or Otherwise I might be ostracized or whatever. Right. Um, number three, 
because they haven't had the time to develop a connection to their knowing or, right, like I'm thinking little kids, right? They haven't had the time yet to to develop their knowing. They don't know that they're taking on a label that's not them, right? So that's one kind of category in this number three. And the other one is maybe they had some sort of connection, but their knowing was squelched. I love that word squelched, right? Like again, from, from various sources, our, our little voice and our little knowing is, is shoved down and down and down and it's just squelched. And so when we are in those places, we're more susceptible to taking on labels that don't actually align with who we are because we don't know who we are. Right. Any thoughts about any of the the stuff that I just said there? I agree with all of it. Every single bit of it. Yeah. Okay. Nothing to add at the moment. Nope. You got it. All right. Okay. Well, awesome. Let's take this into setting our alarm then. Um, When it comes to labels, I think we really have to stay connected to ourselves so that we don't take on labels that aren't in alignment with either our experience, right? So if, if I'm experienced betrayal trauma and I go into a therapist and they tell me that they think I have borderline personality disorder because of my, I love them. I hate them. Um, sinking into my knowing and saying, I don't think that fits my experience. Like something's not ringing true. So it can either be about an experience or who we are, right? Like you said earlier, Galen, so um, eloquently, right? Like the way we present, how how meek we are, right? Like how reserved we are, like whether we're introverted or extroverted, like all of these kinds of things, like people don't get to tell us what those things are. So we need to work to stay connected and awake to who we are and or take time to unbecome all the things that we've taken on that aren't really us. So how do we do that? Right. Um, I have three points today. I could go on for a long time about this because it's one of my biggest passions, but my three points for you today are number one, get curious. It's my, my number one value. Um, and specifically I'll give you a few questions to get curious about what labels do you currently carry? No judgment, just write them all out as many as you can think of. And then go back and think, well, where did they come from? And when I mean where, who, what, and when? Who who did it come from? What was happening? When was it in your life? Okay. Um, along with the same curiosity kind of point is, why does this person get to define or label anything for you or about you? Why? Um, and not necessarily to discount it because they might be able to. Um or at least it might give you pause to be like, I really want to consider this one really strongly because of this person, et cetera. Okay. Um, and really specifically getting curious around what role have they played. Okay. That was all under point number one. Point number two is to check in with yourself. Specifically, how do you feel when you hold each label? Right. I love the phrase that tracks, right? Like it's a kind of a little sassy thing for me these days that a lot of people use. So does it track? Like when you hold it for yourself, does it feel like, like we talked about earlier, does it feel permission giving? And I forget the word that I used earlier, um, or does it feel restrictive, right? Um, which way does, does your body respond to it when you hold it? Does it feel like a burden or does it feel like possibility? Um, so check in with yourself. And then number three, um, I would strongly encourage you to turn the words should and shouldn't into red flags. Okay. Because these carry a high possibility and probability of being self-gaslighting. So, um, I should feel this way. I should like align with this thought. I should, okay. Look and see if those are in, um, 
but coming from a label that doesn't actually belong to you. It's on the wrong thing. Right. Um, so I could say so much more, but I'm going to stop there for today because when I have helping professionals on, I like to give them the opportunity to help you, my listeners, not only set your alarm, but have a snooze alarm lined up just in case we sleep through the alarm. Right. We know we're all guilty of that at some point in time. So Galen, you shared with me three things you look for in labels. Would you mind sharing those with my listeners today? I would be happy to, because I love these so much. So, you know me, I have kind of this love hate relationship with alliteration. I think it's yep. kind of but I can't stop doing it. So so these are three P words. I'll start with the letter P as in peanut butter. So the first one is a label needs to be purposeful. Got to have a job to do. And and the job can be as, as simple as to categorize something or to describe something, or it can be more serious as to define something or establish something to, you know, make something irretractable or, or, or significant in some way. So it's, it's got to have a purpose. A label needs to be purposeful or why label anything. Yeah. Um, the second thing is it needs to be personal. It needs to be mine. It needs to feel like it fits. Like you said, does it, does it track with my gut? Um, yes. Does it apply to me and who I am? Or does mm-hmm. something apply to you and who you are? And can I create enough space for my personal label and your personal label to coexist? Even yeah. if they're potentially different from one another. That's a fun one. to uh, do. Yes. First purposeful, second personal, and the third one powerful. It's got to get the job done. If it is something, a label that we use that attempts to get something done, you know, we've got the purpose right, but it doesn't actually do that. Mm. Perhaps that's an indication that we need to shift a label or consider adjusting or adapting or expanding a label until we find that it does get the job done. So love um, it. Purposeful, personal, and powerful. Yep. Love it. Um, so that's, thank you so much for that, Gillen. Uh, wrapping up today, if you are finding the things I'm doing in this podcast helpful, I'd like to invite you to check out my free workshop and signature program. You can take a look at them at sarahmoralescoaching.com to learn more. And I will have the link in the notes. Galen, thank you so much for being my guest today. You know, I adore you and I could just do this all day with you because you just have so many amazing stories to tell and insights to share and tools and just all of the great, amazing things. So thank you so much for being a gift to my listeners today. And so welcome all of it right back at you, my friend. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you, my listener, for listening to today's episode. If you found it helpful, please leave a review and subscribe. And if you think others would benefit from it, please share. And remember, it's not about becoming who you want to be. It's about awakening all that you already are. And now, Wendy Child and Not Today. We got stars in our eyes like diamonds. We got heart in the fuel to light it. Yeah, we burn it up. We got all the magic shout out if you have it. Yeah, we go with the road like a riptide. Take a walk if you're not on my side. Yeah, we're dangerous. Throw me
Under, under. 